Grandpa, Grandpa, wait, wait. What did Fezzik mean, he's dead? I mean, he didn't mean dead. Wesley's only faking, right? You want me to read this or not? Who gets Humperdinck? I don't understand. Who kills Prince Humperdinck? At the end, somebody's got to do it. Is it Inigo who? Nobody. Nobody kills him. He lives. You mean he wins? Jesus, Grandpa, what did you read me this thing for? Welcome to part two of our Princess Bride episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, we're closing down the month of July. Transitional uh, in the sense that we have so much going on. <laughs> it's, I'm starting to lose track of uh, what goes where. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that as of this recording, we already recorded the bonus episode for July. Uh, the Aguirre, the Wrath of God episode. We did. And uh, it's it's not edited yet, but I look forward to editing it and uh, just remembering what we said about the movie. <laughs> because it's already, it feels like it's it was so long ago. But if you haven't seen that Werner Herzog movie, well, watch it and then listen to us talk about it. That's like on the ground floor, entry level, $1 tier. You get a bonus episode, uh, at least one Every month. Also on that tier, you get our cutting room floor segments where anything that doesn't make it to the main feed gets collected and put up there on Patreon. Also, whenever we have these special projects, such as the Rock Cena Maxi Series or our current Lohan Mini Series, well, those are also available on that $1 tier. Lohan Part 3 and Lohan Part 4 drop in July. The lowest point in Lindsay Lohan's career and then her triumphant return. So we hope. Fingers crossed. So we hope. Yes, not to spoil anything, but we're going to close with a, a Christmas in July celebration, so to speak. Yep. So keep an eye out for that. But there's more. You can go up other tiers, starting with the Winonis and upwards. And you get our pre-recording notes. Uh, you get our quick video reviews. We still need to record the Martin quick video review. That's from patron Ben Murray demanding we uh, talk about this 1976-1977 George Romero movie that we know nothing about. That's right. And then, of course, we also have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we are listening to, thinking about, reading. This occasion, Alex, I know what you bring into Contrarians After Hours because I was there with you when it happened. Tell our listeners what awaits them in the after hours for for this episode. Well, I mean, Barbenheimer has happened. It's come like a wild tornado and has torn asunder the landscape of the movie industry, both of which overperformed domestically. Oppenheimer significantly more than projected. It was projected for like 50 million at 80. Did you see that? Yeah. How much of this do you think? is the fact that people know Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and Kelly Murphy as Scarecrow. I would hope a very small <laughs> amount of people. <laughs> but we watched Oppenheimer together. We did. We went and saw the IMAX showing of it. And by the time we record our After Hours segment, I will have seen Barbie as well. So uh, Julio's kind of waiting that one out and uh, can't blame him, but I had a free pass and I'm going to go see it at the theater by my house and uh, I'll bring a non-spoiler review to that. But yeah, we'll if you haven't already, you need to go see Oppenheimer, preferably in IMAX, and we will be discussing in detail our thoughts on it. We had a a good time at the cinema and uh, boy, there's a lot to discuss about that movie. I agree. And I think that much like when we did our um, licorice pizza after hours, I think that we're going to close that, that after hours with a ranking or not on rankings. Cause we are both, both of us haven't seen tenant. So Correct. we can take that one off the, of the board and then rank all of the other ones. That's fair. I might try to squeeze in a Dunkirk rewatch just to make sure I'm not off base and that you're the one who's crazy before then. <laughs> you could just watch Tenet and instead have all the <laughs> all the Nolan movies under your belt. Uh, I I don't know, maybe. But if you're not going to watch Tenet, I'm not going to commit to it. And the other thing is, too, I'd like to try to get a prestige rewatch in so because I've only seen that once and that was back in the day. Oh, I, I can get aboard with that, a prestige rewatch, because 
I love that movie, but I haven't seen it in so long. So, TBD. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's now getting rewatched: Interstellar, and that's <laughs> that's gonna be my my final tease for my rankings. I literally think what Eddie said when you were giving shit to Interstellar, he was like, "Well, that's where you're wrong," and that's what I have to say right now too. <laughs> he said, "That's where you're wrong." Interstellar rips. <laughs> All right. Well. If that sounds tantalizing, that's going to be on the After Hours, along with everything else that we were talking about. That's on our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash Prime. Go there, look at our tiers, see if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10, our respective tiers. Head on over. $1 as Julio Stress gets you in on the ground floor, and that's where you can have access to over 12 hours of coverage of the Rock Cena feud from the professional wrestling and cinematic standpoint. Uh, yeah, we're probably clocking in at eight or 10 hours with the low hand journey. And then in between all of our bonus episodes, going all the way back to our first patron post, which was our bonus episode on blue is the warmest color and our discussion there. Keep them coming. Keep the numbers rising. Let us know how you feel about these patron exclusive series. Cause like I said, it's the, those side projects that I really enjoy doing and putting together for myself and Julio and a uh, few ideas, a few bullets in the chamber, I guess you'd say as uh, our patron numbers grow. So will uh, some of the patron exclusive series, series series, I, uh, <laughs> the canon, the lore, the, the universe will continue to grow to all of our current patrons. God bless y'all. We love y'all dearly. And yeah, keep them coming. As I like to say, we are accepting applications. They will be quickly reviewed and approved, accepted, and you will be clocking in on Monday morning. So get used to it. <laughs> and now, Alex. Let's ride our horses to the cliffs of insanity. The, the pit of despair. The pit of despair. Any of these bullshit locations that they made up for, for this movie. Let's go to real talk. You know, you, you've been very sick and you're taking this story very seriously. I think we ought to stop now. Julio, Princess Bride, 98% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's a pretty wonderful film. Wonderful but on the on what curve like is it a wonderful it's in like oh this is wonderful with the nostalgic lenses or no nostalgia here let me read you my letterbox review before we get into the the true critics uh <laughs> after watching it today i i'm not gonna give away my score yet but i said it doesn't reinvent the wheel and it doesn't try to but it's perfect for what it is okay this 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 uh basically what you could have said, will have said, might have said about falling for Christmas. <laughs> oh, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> because for even what it is, it's what I, I, what, I, what I said about that was it's not good, but it's not offensive. This is good. This is very good. 98% of Rotten Tomatoes, though, before we get into our thoughts, that means there's a, a smidge, an eyedropper in the. Uh, the glass of water there of critics put a little bit of oil on top floating there, that 2%. What uh, <laughs> these curmudgeons, these Grinches, what were they saying? These were bona fide contrarians. Uh, Variety staff from Variety. This is one of those where nobody wanted to put their name on it. They're just like, <laughs> collectively, let's denounce how much this sucks. Uh, they say, based on William Goldman's novel, this is a postmodern fairy tale that challenges and affirms the conventions of a genre that may not be flexible enough to support such horseplay. Horseplay? What? I say, horseshit. Yeah. In what world, in what universe does the fantasy genre does not lend itself to being made fun of? No joke. That's a, a poor review. Shame on you, Variety. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're starting from the idea that fantasy is hard to mock, then I don't know that we have any any common ground to to walk towards. It's just I, now I know why they didn't put their name on it. Uh, next, Jeff Andrew from Timeout says the leads are vacuous. The absurdity sometimes forced and obvious. Uh, don't have my my dictionary handy, Alex. But vacuous, v a c u o u s. I want to say it. It sounds like that's a negative, especially like it's not written review. I think it's criticizing the the lack of charisma of Carrie Elves and the uh, Robin Wright having or showing a lack of thought or intelligence. Mindless. Oh, so they're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, they are, but that that's the that's the joke. Yeah, everyone in this movie is kind of stupid. That's the thing. Did Jeff Andrew think that he was watching a like a serious fantasy movie? Like Excalibur? Or... I guess. Yeah, there you go. Good one. <laughs> or Aguirre. Yeah. <laughs> and Klaus Kinski as Inigo Montoya. <laughs> Uh, this one is a fresh one, but it's it sounds negative. Gregory Wenkoff from the New Times says, "Cute at the time, better as sound bites now." This is a dude from the meme generation. Man, that's yeah, that's objectively <laughs> false. This is such an easy movie to watch. I planned on watching like half of this uh, early today, and then the other half before we recorded. I just watched the whole thing in one sitting because it just flies by so quick. And that's not a movie that you would say like, oh, the sound bites work from. It's just easy and it flows and it's pleasant. And yeah, wrong. I award you no points. Wanker. What's his name? <laughs> uh, Gregory Wankoff. Yeah. Go wank off and leave <laughs> Princess Bride alone. All right. And then uh, and then we have Billy's clip. So let's let's hear what Billy has to say. The man behind this episode. Hello, Julio and Alex and fellow contrarian heads, much like myself. Thanks for reaching out to me about my thoughts on The Princess Bride, because I'm sure you know, Julio, that this is my all-time favorite film. It just beats out Jurassic Park for me. There's so much to love about this movie. It has a little bit of everything. It's hilarious from start to finish. It's moving from start to finish. I feel like, you know, a lot of people criticize the romance in this film and don't think it's very well fleshed out. I actually am going to disagree with that. I think that the chemistry between Wesley and Buttercup in this film is extraordinary. Like, okay, sure, we don't see what really builds to this big relationship. If you, if you just take it from what you see, then yes, it's easy to think, oh, you know, okay, she's kind of mean to him and he just likes her anyway because she's hot. I don't think that's it at all. I think that you can really feel the relationship between these two in this film. And I don't think it matters that we see the full development of that because their chemistry works so well. I don't think that there is a bad thing to be said about this film. It's the perfect level of everything, adventure, action, romance, comedy. I'm sure that you guys are going to disagree with everything I've said, particularly in the first half of this show, because that's what you guys do. But I know deep down that you guys love this movie. I'm sure that you do. You have to. You have to, right? (laughs) I really don't know what else there is to say other than, you know, the score by Mark Knopfler. There you go. I've ticked off a little bit of B-Dizzle Bingo for you because I know that everyone loves that I'm always bringing up the score of things. But Mark Knopfler's work on this is extraordinary. Even the cheesy ending song, <laughs> your love is like a storybook story. It's still just, <laughs> you know, it pulls at my heartstrings. Um, Andre the Giant. Like, I could just go on and on and on and on about this film. But I've said too much already i'm taking up too much of your listeners time but i'm so glad that you guys are getting to this and i can't wait to listen to these episodes to hear firstly you guys you know be your contrarian selves but also the real talk because i'm sure you guys are going to have some great things to say about it his all-time favorite my god i know heavy lies the crown alex no shit is that the only one of the patron takeover before that where somebody has given us their favorite movie well, basically, I feel like we've done maybe some people's favorite movies before, but that's the only one of like in the moment I've I've known that it's their favorite movie. I'm glad I didn't know before we did Contrarian's Corner. I would have been like, <laughs> I would have gotten in my own head about it. Well, Cold Stone, Cold Stone, Steve Austin turned out to be a huge fan of Paris, Texas. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Gerald, you know, he he loves barbed wire. <laughs> Because he's a man of intelligence and good taste. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, well, Billy, I think that we, we can remain friends whether we agree with your opinion or not. It it remains to be seen what their score is, what how we really uh, how we really rate The Princess Bride. Although Alex Ray said that it was an easy watch. Mm-hmm. And I will agree with that just from the beginning. It's, it's an easy watch. It's, what is it, an hour 40? Alex, it's not a very long movie. Not even that, yeah. Considering how much happens, or at least whenever I think of The Princess Bride, I always think like, oh, there's a lot that happens in that movie. And uh, it doesn't even hit two hours. So 
<laughs> it's it's kind of breezy in that way, uh, but also paced kind of like old school. Mm-hmm. It was that was my main not negative, but it was I felt the pacing as in like that a pacing that belongs to a different era. <laughs> it, yeah. it, like again, not a bad thing. It's just that I think if you were to make this movie today, it would just go a lot faster. Uh, and that's also not a bad thing. I just think it's different. What? Uh, Dude, the first half hour of it would easily just be more like love building with Buttercup. And I was watching this. And it's the first thing I thought because it's so easy and quick of how they fell in love. But now I'd be like, oh, he was tortured. But then his father made him a promise that he would never do this. And then he fell in love with this girl. And, you know, at first she you get rejected the sex him scene before he yeah. leaves. Yeah, exactly. Get Carrie L's just. O face staring into the camera. <laughs> yeah, I, the Jim Carrey shot from Dark Crimes. Oh Jesus, damn it, dude! I forgot about that. Why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> okay, but that's not what I meant. What I mean is the 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 rhythm in the scenes it, it, here. It feels like they really take their time in between. You know, even in between lines, just everybody moves just a tad slower than than real life or at least than than movies you know what i'm talking about that uh, today it would just be more rapid fire this movie just wouldn't a, get made today well it, it would be very different you know you wouldn't who would, yes i'm be, sorry that it's it, it, you're right it's something it's based on something so it would easily get greenlit but the uh, the presentation of it would be much much different imagine like if every scene moved as fast as as the billy crystal sequence in mm-hmm. cocaine uh I think that would feel a little more contemporary, but this, it just feels like a movie that was made in the eighties. And that's not, again, not a bad thing. I'm just, it, it threw me off because I guess I haven't seen it in a long enough time that the movie that I had playing in my head as a princess bride was a movie that moved a little faster. And instead there's a movie that kind of chills and <laughs> takes its time. It It's really as if Peter Falk was reading the book to you. <laughs> you just needed more riffing, right? More Lord Miller-esque scenes. Uh, yeah. While Sean, just going on from that lineorama. <laughs> 20 different ways of saying inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, but, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying. I, I can't disagree with what you're saying because it's, I can't disprove, disprove it. But like, th- this is structurally kind of how I look for movies to be. And I think that's obvious. Obviously, you and I agree on movies a lot, but I think structurally we have our ideas of like how movies should be presented, and they we don't differ greatly, but they it can vary for sure. I thought the pacing was great, and I thought that it moved along basically how I want a movie to move along. And that back to uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Danny Kane, like. Uh, <laughs> they get back together movies over get out of the theater i love it i love it because you know give the people what they want and move on i don't know hit me with some critiques besides that like because i really honestly this isn't like to me a five-star movie but like i said it's perfect for what it is and so i can't outright tell you things i don't like about it is there anything that like immediately comes to mind that i don't like this about the princess bride for you not not in in such a strong no i mean i'm going to billy i'm just going to spoil it. i mean I, there's nothing that i don't like about this movie <laughs> i like this movie a lot <laughs> i fuck it let's just go full spoilers this is a five-star movie for me oh. <laughs> i know it just sounded pretty negative but no i i love it this, it's really good but on paper there's some things that i'm like this shouldn't work and i'm just more not even mystified because I'm like, it's a good movie, you know? And so good movies make things that you don't expect uh, would work. They make them work. That's just kind of almost like magic, right? It's a combination of you get the right actors, the right script, the right director, and then it just, it works. It it can't be boiled down to a formula of how you exactly do it because otherwise everybody would do it, you know? So there's just something that is <laughs> can't be defined that happened when Rob Reiner and Willem Goldman got together and they cast these people mm-hmm. and they staged these scenes and then suddenly 
stuff that shouldn't work works, such as the fact that, as Billy alluded, you don't really get anything about this relationship. I mean, I nope. why should I care about these two pretty people falling in love, especially when they don't really seem particularly nice to each other at the beginning, right? Like she is, she's spoiled, and you He's never a peasant. really. Yeah, he's a peasant. She's she's pretentious. She treats him like shit. There's nothing, especially today. Maybe it was a little easier to swallow in the 80s. But today, just to see this dude just getting abused and taking it because he loves her. That That's just, we're, we're so past that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we call that out today. And But you watch it and you buy it. And I think that part of the reason, part of why we buy it is because it is meant to poke fun at the trope. Right, it's it still it completely buys, it wants you to buy the romance. I mean, that's the whole point of the movie. But but it also it kind of winks at you and says like, yeah, because all these stories are about you know these these epic romances, and you don't really you just have to buy them. You just have to buy that they're in love because that's just what the story is. You you don't really have to analyze why they fell in love or how they fell in love. How what do they talk about? I don't know what Buttercup and Wesley talk about. <laughs> how pretty they are. How pretty their children are going to be. <laughs> but when you see them. Maybe because they're just really charismatic people, you're just like, yeah, of course they're in love. Of course. And then once you buy that they're in love, then everything else is a little easier to buy, right? That she would be distraught, that he would be hurt when he hears that, you know, she got married and or that she's going to get married and all that stuff. But but on paper, I would tell you, well, this relationship needs to be developed more. I don't really know anything about these characters. And they don't even change. You know, they don't have an arc. They don't learn anything. Uh, Wesley is a pretty cocky bastard at the beginning, and he ends up being a really cocky bastard at the end. I mean, that's that's just that's how he wins. And Buttercup is in love with him and kind of naive about the ways of the world, and that's kind of like where it ends too. It's not, it's not like she ends up outsmarting uh, Humperdinck or that Wesley learns some sort of humility through this ordeal. It's just. You know, they're archetypes at the beginning and they end up being the same archetypes at the end. Even like the smaller characters, right? Inigo is out for revenge and it's not like he learns that revenge is a bad thing or that revenge is not worth it. No, he kills the man in black or he kills the six-fingered man and and we all cheer on and then and then he gets offered a job as a pirate. So if, <laughs> there's, if I was reading this script, I would probably point out and say... What would be better if you like flesh this out or flesh this out, or if you made it clear that we're not supposed to take any of this seriously because that way you're off the hook, right? You're just making fun of it, so it doesn't need to be too layered. Uh, but this movie still takes it seriously. I mean, it's all very earnest in the way it's portrayed, even as it's making fun of it. So, you know, some some of those things, I guess, you just can't explain. You you just say it works. <laughs> Shouldn't work, but it works. Uh, now you're not. I, I think that I'm more into the fantasy genre than you are. Just on you know broad strokes so does it still work though as a, as a as a loving critique of the fantasy genre for you or are you more like in this case you, you just watch it as as a fun story but it's not like you're really enjoying how it makes fun of uh, fantasy oh yeah that too i mean parody movies have been done to death to the point of like they're few and far between i mean we talk about and Falling for Christmas, that might be like an Andy Kaufman level performance of uh, parody. But uh, so it's kind of hard to, in this movie too. I don't think a lot of people know, but part of its legacy is that it's kind of parodic of the it's the genre that it's deriving from, you know. Uh, and so I really do enjoy that. And to back up to like the sometimes movies just work and they have you. That that is the true. If this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, that is our true battle cry because uh, <laughs> Julio and I will always rest on the defense of like if we like a movie and someone's like well, what about this part I'm like well that didn't bug me because the movie had me and uh, in this case yeah I it's not the immediate thing I would go to is like you know it's strong point but it is it is funny how of the fantasy and you know uh, fairy tale genre it does kind of dissect a little bit of it bit by bit um, but yeah that's definitely not like the first thing I would talk about in discussion you would talk about Andrew the Giant. Yeah, I mean Andre's great. Um, is he is he the MVP for you here? Because I I want to say overall, and this is me just going with my gut, but I think that if you poll people on the street about the Princess Bride, Inigo comes out on top as the yeah, Manny as everyone's yeah. favorite. Yeah, and like Robin Wright's really good, but the thing is, she just doesn't really have many lines and too much to do. Um, 
yes, this is Inigo's movie. That's he's the one with like the full arc. And while Carrie L's Wesley gets the girl, Inigo gets retribution and gets, you know, uh, vindication, which, you know, to dudes, especially like the testosterone aspect of it, that's way cooler. Um, yeah, Andre's great. We can talk about Andre now. Andre Rusimov. Andre the Giant was about six years away from passing. He would have been 40, uh, roughly 40 at the time this movie was made. And um, he was in bad shape, man. He had been in the wrestling business for, what, 20 years or so at this point. And that gigantism thing was real. And it's what aged his body horrendously. He was only 46 when he died. And he was broken down. And, uh, you know, if you kind of want to get into what his psyche was about performing and whatnot, the HBO documentary is very, very good on on him. Uh, Ignore everything Hulk Hogan says. He's just a (laughs) lying sack of shit. But I guess the significance of this is that Andre's like, Andre wrestled pretty much up until he died. I think he died in January of 93 and he was still wrestling throughout 92. Not in the WWF. It was uh, Japan had stopped booking him at that point. So it was, he's probably just doing shots in Mexico and like France and stuff. But Japan booked him past when Vince did because uh, he was still just a draw like at the and he was still wrestling in Japan in 91 I think and because he was fucking Andre the Giant and it's crazy man you can see it, you have to know what you're watching for but even just the way he kind of moves in this is it's kind of uh, stilted so my fault being the biggest and the strongest I don't even exercise but man, he I mentioned that name drop I did with Stan Hansen in the first half. Like if you watch some of those matches he had in the seventies, man, Andre Andre was a great professional wrestler, but a lot of people just kind of know him for kind of what I'm gonna get into here. Just late years Andre, the black singlet with the one shoulder strap when he was wrestling Hulk Hogan on TV and whatnot. Um So Andre at this point in late 86, he obviously would have been taking time off. But even by that point, he was more of an attraction for the WWF, not like the top dog. But March of 1987, so before this movie came out, while he was filming, this was leading into his big, like the biggest match he had with Hulk Hogan, which was WrestleMania three. And it was at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, it's highly disputed the attendance number, but it was somewhere between 80 and 90,000, which at that point in time was like unbelievable. And it was basically the seal of approval for Hulk Hogan. Cause even though the first WrestleMania had happened, uh, please check out our first episode of the rock Cena journey to have more information <laughs> on that. This was basically like the event that made Hulk Hogan legitimate in the wrestling fans eyes, not just like mainstream media. And then also like, really solidified that the WWF is like an entertainment conglomerate, like a, a force to be reckoned with because of the attendance number they did. And the main event of that was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. The match isn't really that good because Andre's can barely do anything, but the conclusion of it is Hogan slams him, pins him, and you know, Andre lost to him. And so Andre was pretty much done with the company at that point. He did a few more appearances here and there. He would do some spots. I mean, he was... I think the last thing he did wrestling wise for the WF was WrestleMania six, which was in 1990, but it's just kind of interesting. The timing of it, because this is obviously like the peak of him is, is a figure in pop culture, the princess bride that is. And then even though he was on his way out of the business, like he's still in 87, it was the interesting highs and the, the ends and what could have been possible beginnings. You know, I mean, He's his timing is good in this. He doesn't seem out of place. He's obviously a big dude. Um, it's I would say it's kind of fun casting, not stunt casting, because it's not like he comes across as good way of describing it. Yeah, because it, it's fun that onto the Giants here, but he he holds his own with all these other like in some cases titans of the industry. He's like. Rat-a-tat-tatting with Billy Crystal and, you know, (laughs) 
Wallace Shawn <laughs> and uh, Mandy Patinkin, and like it, it, he doesn't really seem out of place from an acting perspective. And it is, it's just kind of me as a wrestling fan. It's kind of like, um, you know, Andre is always an interesting case because at this point, he was just he was a spent force. There was like it wasn't going to get better. And you see something like this when, you know, the damage had already been done. And it's kind of a bummer because it's like, man, he could have, you know, I'm not trying to say he could have been like a regular in a lot of things, but he could have had this showed to me that he could have had like a career outside of wrestling doing something. Um, Because even like with some of the comedic timing and like his delivery of some lines, that's pretty funny. His character is kind of warm and like you kind of feel like he's like a big teddy bear and you like that shot where he catches Robin Wright at the end and they smile at each other is like so heartwarming. And so, uh, you know, analytically and like preparing the things I was going to talk about and say for this episode, I definitely looked at it in a different perspective and it, um, it's kind of melancholic, you know, it's like we have this, but selfishly as a, a film fan and also someone who just kind of felt bad and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the pain he brought on himself. I'm not gonna lie; no one forced him to wrestle that far past his expiration date. But um, it's just kind of interesting to think about having both sides of knowledge that I have. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that it it well, there's the two sides of it, right? I think that the warmth and just the the kind of like the perfect match of of actor of persona and character that that works. Across the board, I think that if you go into this movie not knowing who Andre the Giant is as a wrestler, I think physics still works for you, right? It's a, it's an imposing like physically he's imposing, but he he looks like a good dude and he's he's sweet and he stands up for his friends and all that stuff. And it, it's uh, you're right that I don't think that wrestler or not, that's not something that uh, a lot of people can pull off. That's just you know going back to the what we're saying at the beginning sometimes it just works and sometimes you cast the right person and that just makes the character work and uh it's i'm sure there are other people that would have been that could have worked but for example you were talking about liam neeson i don't know that i can see liam neeson as a lovable (laughs) giant you know he's a great actor but that's just it's just not part of his persona i think that if liam neeson was going to make me believe that he was physic or that his physic was going to work the way that Andrew Giants works in this movie, he would just really have to transform himself. <laughs> it could also be that by now, Andrew the Giants physic is just so embedded in our culture that there's no way that you can imagine anybody else playing him. But it, it's just, it's good. And so I think that that's on one side. But on the other side, if you have the the knowledge of his life, his career, if you know him as a wrestler, then uh, that adds that tragic aspect the bittersweet uh side of it like, right you watch him and you're just happy that he got to do this and you're sad at what was going on behind the scenes it, it's not like that's exclusive to to him or to wrestlers <laughs> in yeah. movies or anything. you know i think that uh as life goes on as movies get older then there's a pretty good chance that there's gonna be somebody in the cast that has a tragic backstory that eventually becomes public and then you next time you watch the movie, you kind of have to reconcile reality with the fantasy that the movie is telling you, and that oh yeah, you know that happens a lot. Like how many actors have developed substance abuse problems, and how many actors get sick, or you know that yeah they oh, were man. in a really good place right now, but later years they couldn't get a job or whatever. So in this case, it works despite everything that was going on with with his health. I mean, I think that uh, Andre makes it work. It's just. Uh, there's not a moment where you don't where you feel like it's it's fake and you know it, it's not even it's not a dialogue driven role but he has plenty of lines that you know need to land and they do it's oh, rhyming yeah. and you know all that stuff it's there, there's talent there i mean yeah it, aside from his size like anyone can be big there's plenty of wrestlers a, a giant gonzalez who i name dropped was just he was big. That was it. He sucked at wrestling. And with Andre, it's like, yeah, he had he could perform. That's why he was such a fucking mega draw. Um, to wrap up Andre's section of it, though, I, and there were stories of like the pain he was in and like the um, working around it and things that had to be like kind of tailored for his limitations at the time that are discussed in that HBO documentary. So that's mm-hmm. not just for wrestling fans. They got Rob Reiner, Billy Crystal, Robin Wright. They, the Carrie Ells is in it. They, they have everyone. There's like a section that talks about this movie. Um, he did win the WF title in the beginning of 1988, but it was 
by nefarious means, and it was really just to set up the tournament at WrestleMania four. He held the belt for like an hour or something, but I think it's still on the record books as he held it. Did he show up dressed as physic? <laughs> well, that's also you know. Vince McMahon didn't have his finger in this pie, so you know how much you know how much promotion the Princess Bride got on WF television. A ten second spot where I'd be Carrie surprised if up. it got that. It was. <laughs> it, I'll I'll just say this: it didn't get nearly as much promotion as No Holds Barred got on their television show. Um, <laughs> but Andre and Hogan, the the, the rematch was basically uh, on. I'm trying to remember which network aired it, but it was called the main event. And it drew a 15.2 Nielsen rating, which equals 33 million viewers. So Andre, even though he could barely do anything, the idea of him and Hulk Hogan was still a big old draw. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also not a movie that in the WWF E version of history is, remembered because it had nothing to do with it and that was you know vince was already kind of tired with the idea of andre he was just squeezing the orange for all the juice he could get out of it and anytime someone's done shit like that it drives vince insane and that's why like vince and the company in years following this got ahead of that of okay if some movie studio wants a wrestler in it, we're going to tell them which wrestler it can be. They still do that to this day. If you call WWE headquarters and you're like, hey, I'm fucking <laughs> uh, Nicholas Wendig Rafen and I want uh, <laughs> I want Ricochet in my next movie. And they'll go, oh, no, you mean you want Roman Reigns in your next movie or, you know, <laughs> you want Sheamus in your next movie. And so Andre could wield that kind of power of just like. Fuck you, Vince. I work for Rob Reiner now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the the story of watching something and it having like I, I used the word melancholic earlier, kind of a, a life on its side feeling that it brings to you is not exclusive to Andre and it's not exclusive to the Princess Bride. But it's definitely there with this. At the same time, like I said, it's such a warm like every time he was on screen and like his delivery made me smile. And also it's just kind of. It, it wouldn't be anywhere near that good if he didn't have the chemistry that he does with everybody. And that's kind of this movie is like it's a puzzle with a bunch of pieces that don't fit together, but it still works somehow. Like the cast of this is like. What? <laughs> and <laughs> Carrie L's, um, I guess we can move on to him because he's not someone. How do how do I put this to the death? No, to the pain. You wouldn't call him, and no, this is not meant to be disrespectful or anything, but you wouldn't call him an A-lister. I also wouldn't call him a leading man. And I would Well, I mean, in 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 an era of Hollywood, he would be. I suppose. I guess, yeah, he's not an A-lister. And also, like, I forgot he's in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm looking over his filmography right now. You know, he has the part in Glory, but there's some stuff, too, where he's not that good and film busters paul you know skip ahead 10 seconds but like saw and he's so <laughs> bland in that movie and I was uh, what you were gonna spoil <laughs> i'm not spoiling anything it's just it I, he, he's a guy that his um what am i trying to say here his his output varies in quality greatly for me you know something like this he's fantastic he have you ever seen liar liar before mm -hmm. you know he's the when he tries the to the claw he's such a perfect wiener in that movie like he plays like <laughs> the nerdy white guy so well but i've just seen him in so many things with varying degrees of enjoyment and like he might be like one of those actors i've never been able to get a comfortable read on like <laughs> is he a good actor like i've never been able to figure it out uh and this he's good he's very good looking and um it, it, i don't know if this is like his rosebud but man he just he thrives in this like the the look <laughs> is obviously constructed by the director and people on set and everything but his fervor and like energy put forth of the the Prince Charming here to save the day, but still mm -hmm. trying to be cool. It's a, a very layered performance and he's just excellent. But, you know, him on the whole is I, I always end up with more questions than I went in with. <laughs> uh, I've the first few times I watched Princess Bride, 
I had a really hard time with his character because uh, growing up, I watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Not Prince of Thieves, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Men in Tights. I watched Men in Tights, the Mel Brooks Robin Hood movie, so many times. And he plays Robin Hood, and he's basically it's just a few degrees separated from the way that he plays Wesley, except that it's a Mel Brooks movie, so he really amps up the ridiculousness, right? Like, Wesley's cool. Uh, Robin Hood, as played by Carrie Elves, is an idiot, but he has, you know, he's swashbuckling, and he he he's very confident, the way that Wesley's confident, and so when I, the first time I watched Princess Bride, I was like, oh, it's the dude from Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and he's kind of playing the same guy, except he's not as funny. <laughs> Or he's not trying to be as funny. And it was really weird because it almost felt like it was a, a comedic performance that was not being delivered well. And then as time went on, I was able to separate both performances. I was like, no, he's going for a completely different thing here. Like it's this is I was gonna say smarter comedy. Not it's not that Mel Brooks is dumb comedy, but you know, Mel Brooks is, is broader. <laughs> and this is a little more intellectual in the sense that it's it, what you were describing, right? It's uh, he's playing the the archetype of the hero while also mm-hmm. kind of like letting you know that he knows it's bullshit, you know, and but it's still having fun. So he's no, I think he's he's great. I think he has that that heroic persona. It's just that today and maybe in the last 20. 20 something years you know you don't really have much use for that type of screen presence not the way that you used to to have it back you know in the i don't know 50s 60s 70s you know i I saw a lot of uh quotes mentioning how this movie was uh (laughs) this for alex mattis it's a love letter to the adventure movies Uh, i'm bored from back then and uh mentioning uh you know actors like errol flynn in that Carrie Elves' performance is kind of feeding from that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, he he definitely has it. And and I know that I associate him mostly with that type of character. And when I see him playing something else, it's it's kind of like a nice surprise <laughs> that, you know, he can be uh, that the, the goofy, dorky stepdad and lie liar. Or just now I saw him in uh, Mission Impossible, the new one, and he plays the man, is he the head of the CIA? He's some sort of government agent. And he's he's really good. He only has a few scenes, but he's he's really good in it. And he's kind of smarmy, but also funny. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Carrie Elves is out there, still kicking, still doing things. I think that, you know, the problem is that sometimes you could be the best actor in the world and, you know, be in shitty movies because you still have to make a living, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe that's what happened with, with uh, Carrie Elves. Have you ever seen? I haven't, but have you ever seen that movie? Uh, is it The Crush? Where... Alicia Silverstone is a teenager that has a crush on him, and she stalks him. No. Fun for the whole family. <laughs> um, so the rest of the cast, just kind of like quickly, because, I mean, we've been praising them, and it, it kind of feels like it feels wrong to not single them out, but at the same time, it's like, well, we're just going to praise everybody. Yeah. Uh, I know that it's not that's not the case, but it almost feels like with Robin Wright, it's like her introduction in The Princess Bride and then cut to however many years later, almost like her reintroduction in Forrest Gump. <laughs> Do you ever get that feeling? Yes, I agree. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago when discussing Robin Wright in this, it's um, not as though she has much to do, but my God, does she even just from like a, you know, she's obviously beautiful, but like a body language and just presence, she commands the screen when she's on it. So it is kind of interesting that, yeah, for almost 10 years, what, seven years or so that it, really didn't seem like she had the role she should have. She's in State of Grace, which my dad swears is like one of the all-time underrated movies, and I still haven't seen it. Um, so potentially coming soon to After Hours. <laughs> but then, yeah, Forrest Gump. She's like, time to remind these people. Got an Oscar nomination. She's, of course, the villain of that movie. <laughs> I, had a, I had a joke that I didn't get to play, but it was something along the lines of, uh, well... If you thought that Jenny had bad taste in men, here she's about to marry Chris Sarandon, who's a complete <laughs> dick. Uh, she's good. I think that she probably has the least to do in, in the movie as far as uh, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that she is not boring, it's but you know, because she doesn't really get to be very funny. And uh, most of the time she's just being manipulated. Uh, she's being gaslit, as the woke kids would say today, <laughs> by Humperdinck. And 
And still, you know, she comes out on top. I, I think that the, the fact that you buy her love for Wesley carries you a long way. And then, uh, you know, I think Chris Random is really funny. I think Christopher Guest is creepy enough. I would never think of Christopher Guest as somebody that I would pick to play a bad guy. But here he is. And he's great. And then Mandy Patinkin, who, you know, I alluded to him being probably the, the most popular uh, mm-hmm. choice among viewers. And that is this is not going to be like a controversial statement, but his uh, his confrontation with Ruger, with Christopher Guest, is not just probably my favorite part of the movie, but also I think it's like top tier best scenes in movies ever. Really? Because, oh yeah, dude, it's just so good. It's, it's the two part of it, because of course they do a great job uh, and he does a great job of just giving you the exposition early in the movie where he sits down and he t- he is such a I love that character because <laughs> he's so honorable right he he helps Wesley up <laughs> he tells him that's okay take your time catch your breath <laughs> get the boots get the rocks out of your boots while I tell you my backstory and he talks about and it's such a good story you know very simple his dad he loved his dad this dude shows up kills his dad he tries to avenge his dad he gets shamed by the guy and now he's hunting him forever. And so that's perfect. And you're like, you need to pay this off. You can't drop the ball. Then we see the six finger man. He's with the prince. You know, it's going to happen. It has to happen. And then at the end, they have that fight. And, you know, I don't remember how it was the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I just know that I felt it was like so badass. And watching it last night, it was still the same, right? That he's hurt. He gets stabbed by by Ruger, you know, who plays dirty, throws a knife at him. And then he's just bleeding out. And it doesn't make sense that he would suddenly get his second win. It's one of those movie tropes. Forget a fantasy tropes. It's just like movie tropes in general, right? The, the guy that's that's almost out and then he sees the girlfriend in the crowd and he gets up and he, he gets a second win. And here, it's just, it's almost, it's comical because... Ruger goes for the kill, and Mandy thinking is still acting like he's bleeding out, but he still blocks it. <laughs> and and it's in combination with the score. Because it's, it's the score plus the sound effect of the of the sword clashing, and it happens a few times, and then Patinkin gets up and starts basically repeating his mantra, right? You know, my name is Nigel Montoya. Hello, my name is Nigel Montoya. And so on, and he slips a couple times, and he gets up, and it's just the fact that he kept he keeps getting stronger and stronger as he yeah. moves on and repeats and repeats, and that Ruger it starts cowering in in because he goes from being very confident to just suddenly just panicking, and and that he tells him stop saying that. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just so well so well constructed. And then he gives him the the scars on the side, mirroring the mm-hmm. ones that he was given when he was a child. And then he kills him. <laughs> it is horrible. And we all cheer. Because <laughs> he, uh, you know, he's a little boy avenging his dad. It's just amazing. Man, fist pump time there. It's just amazing. I, and Patinkin is great. I, You know, I've seen Mandy Patinkin in a few things. Most notably, uh, he was in the first two seasons of Criminal Minds. He was the, <laughs> the lead investigator. And I was like, hey, it's Inigo Montoya. Uh, I've seen him in a few movies. I've... I've heard that uh, he he has a reputation for being that he can be difficult to work with. And really? Yeah, but you know, I mean, people can get those reputations, and it turns out that maybe they're not. You know, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, it's like if you're gonna be difficult to work with, well, then you better be acting at the level that Mandy Patinkin acts here. Mm-hmm. And, and he's he's fantastic. I love him, and he does so much with those lines with his little speech. Maybe that he is what ultimately makes, I think, the movie like a five-star movie for me. If you didn't have Mandy Patinkin uh, with that performance, or if the character didn't arrive at such a satisfying ending, then um, I probably wouldn't. Because in the end, it works. But it's not like I care too much about Buttercup and Wesley. <laughs> so what I really... It was what you were saying, you know? The real story is Inigo looking for revenge and getting it. And so that's that's good stuff. I want my father back. Have you seen the Criterion box art? Isn't it uh, them holding hands like the, the poster? Well, I'm sorry. I, box art is not the phrase I look for. The packaging is 
like a book. It's like a like a fairy tale book. It's got like a, a bound on it and everything. Um, because you know they spare no expenses. I'm not gonna lie to you. We got three days left. I might try to get scoop this up if I can find it on the Barnes and Noble website. Uh, get the Criterion version of it. You know what? I think they've talked me into it. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am praising the movie, and I don't have it in my collection. Yeah, it's good shit, man. Have you I ever mean, run into some sort of a critique about how white the movie is? Because I haven't. It surprises me that I haven't. No, but I would not refute or like if someone's like, it's a white movie. I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, make it a few years later and Tiny Lister could have played Physic. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> anybody want a peanut like you know just (laughs) yeah man uh that's a very valid it would be a valid critique but at the same time uh does rob reiner make movies for anyone but white people (laughs) that is an excellent observation i can't believe i didn't think about that is there i don't know there any anything but white people in when harry met sally a few good men misery the American president. We we forgot. Did we do that? You're right. We did the American president. Okay, so yeah. Rob Reiner coming back for for a second outing to the contrarians. A movie in which the biggest controversy would be if the president was dating. Like that's <laughs> little do they know. This is Spinal Tap is like the whitest movie that's ever been made. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I understand Morgan Freeman's in it, but the bucket list is still an incredibly white movie. Uh, it was made that that was a movie basically made for old white people. Um, so, yeah, my argument would be correct. But let's look at the source of this first. You know, make what you know. And Rob Rob Reiner knows white people, man. <laughs> All right. So. so. So it is time. You read your letterbox review, but yeah, it's yeah, time yeah. to reveal your your score. Oh, it's an A. It's definitely an A. And um, four stars is what I gave it on letterbox. But. It's, it's an easy a it's it's emma stone i was about to say it may not star thomas hayden church and um lisa kudrow but it's an easy a and it's a weird thing to put your finger on because we also say all the time of like uh oh there's just something missing that i can't figure out and then when you say of a movie that it's perfect for what it is sometimes people would have a hard time kind of understanding what you mean by that so you know, it's it's kind of walking a line, but if someone told me this movie wasn't for them, it, okay, if someone told me this movie sucks, I'd be like, well, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But if someone was like, yeah, it's not really for me, that's cool. Uh, but for me, and for what this movie tries to achieve, it's just fucking on the money. It's like Big. Big is another movie that I... Big is not something that I would be like, A+, plus five stars, first ballot Hall of Famer, but Big is a great example of like Princess Bride of a movie that's just absolutely fucking perfect for what it is. And so four stars, an A for me, and to close the loop as I'm looking here on my computer, the Criterion's not out yet, so we're going to have to wait for next year, Julio. It comes out in September. Oh, man, I feel like I've seen it everywhere, but I guess I've seen the email everywhere. (laughs) Yes, that was my thing, too. Like I was like, it's been on my Instagram chain and in my email inbox so many times that it has to be out already. And but I'm looking at the box art right now, and yeah, it opens up like a book. It's bound like a book, and um, got audio commentary by Reiner and the gang. And it looks like the essay, like the book that folds out, is the essays by William Goldman. So that's nice. fucking cool. Yeah, is the so, disc art uh, Wallace Shawn's face? No disc art yet. That would be perfect. It is the shot of him like dead on the ground? But. <laughs> His tongue sticking out. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like y'all are going to have to wait a year for us to provide full review on the Princess Bride criterion, but that'll be added to the the shelf one day. So Julio, four stars, A for me, and it sounds like you already let the cat out of the bag. You're going full five on this one. Yeah, full five. It's uh, Like you said, it's a perfect movie. I think that the difference is that I I am a little bit more into the genre, so I think that's why it's, it's I can just wholeheartedly embrace it. It is exactly what you said. If somebody told me that the movie is bad, I I would just 
come out guns blazing and explain why that's wrong. If somebody told me that it's not for them, I'll be like, of course, because it's not... the, the fantasy genre is not for everybody. And if you don't enjoy the fantasy genre, then this movie is going to... The, the things that could not work are definitely not going to work. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. Well, that was The Princess Bride. A great time was had by all. If somehow you haven't seen it, get that done. Because that was one of the first things that I was uh, I was made to take care of when I moved to the United States. My friends were like, you don't know what The Princess Bride is? Sit down. We're watching a movie tonight. Yes, that was The Princess Bride. And as Julio said, fun was had. And we we hope we did it justice. Uh, looking to the future now that we have this one in the rear view. What, uh, what lies ahead, Julio? We're on our white horses riding towards what? Coming up next, Ben Murray. He decided to throw us a movie that I'm assuming he doesn't like because not many people like it, except for liking it in the postmodern ironic sense, I guess. But uh, this is Jaws the Revenge, a movie that is uh, basically percentageless <laughs> in Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it only has three reviews, at least on the app. It only has three reviews from real critics. Uh, and then it has the sad popcorn tub, just tipped over a 15% audience score. I thought people like sharks, but apparently not these sharks. Uh, I've never seen it. I have always loved the poster though. And this is going back to like, I remember seeing the box in video stores and stuff. Do you, have you ever seen the poster? I'm looking at a poster here. I don't know if that's, it looks like every other Jaws poster. <laughs> the, shark. the one, the one, oh, of course you would say that the one I'm <laughs> referencing is uh jaws and then the a is the shark coming out of the water and then the revenge and the oh okay i'm looking at it okay i was looking at a different one yeah there's a much more generic jaws revenge poster no i mean this is the classic the classic one at jaws is like you know jaws at the top with the shark at the bottom but yeah this one it's it's great it looks like a (laughs) this time it's personal it also has the (laughs) tagline on it uh i am fired up for this i'm not gonna lie I guess it's the only Jaws movie that I haven't seen because I've seen one, two, and three. And uh, I don't think there's a fifth one. <laughs> Maybe it's time to close that that chapter of my life. We're sticking uh, it, in uh, 1987 for this one too, the year of my birth. Hey. And Alex, we covered the, the original Jaws way back in the beginnings of this uh, of this here show. So That was the first episode. I remember we got any kind of feedback on and it was positive. Yep. Yep. Good memories. Let's see. Let's see if we can we can make it happen again with the with this sequel. Uh, but that's on the future. Jaws: The Revenge. Uh, I don't know if it's a Michael Caine vehicle, but the only thing I know about it is that Michael Caine is in it. We're gonna get to see that beautiful uh, Universal Pictures signature at the beginning. I always look forward to that. <laughs> so you gotta take your W's where you can in this day and age. <laughs> All right, Alex, get us out of here. Well, that was Princess Bride, Jaws, The Revenge on deck. Thank you all for listening. Now we move into our perennial plugs to close us out. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothwieser, is the man behind our logo and all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, that's Hans's handiwork. So if you like it, let Hans know. Reach out to him. Uh, you can get him on Twitter or X or whatever that platform is called today. He's at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also email him, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. You can check out his webpage, Mildemonios.pe. That's where you can check out his other work. He's a writer. He's written a whole bunch of uh, fantasy novels. Very appropriate for this episode. Uh, he has a bunch of zombie books that he's he's written, and he has two podcasts: Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com has anything you could possibly need in the realm of professional wrestling podcasting. We've got some friends over there who can continue to help spread the word of our podcast. So we want to be sure we do the same for them. And speaking of continuing to help spread the word in their effort, our social media team. Coriari, who's been killing it with our videos, our warm-up videos, and also our quick video reviews. 
I was a huge fan of the video he put together for Invasion USA. Dug up those clips of Yokozuna and The Undertaker and Chuck Norris at Survivor Series 1994. And Zoe's helped a lot with Facebook, Instagram. Just continuing to expand the Contrarians universe. So Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, our Twitter accounts in the bumper. We're, we're everywhere that you are and want to be and we have our social media team to thank for that so keep up the good work y'all we truly appreciate it and as always we end by saying we truly appreciate you the listening public for tuning in to yet another episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time the summer of 1999